0: Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodak. I'm here with my mom, Marie Spodak. Mom, how are you?
1: I am good today. It's great.
0: Okay, we're in the kitchen. I want to give the situation. Okay. Uh, there's a kabocha squash in front of us. There's some yogurt that's cooling off. No, mm-hmm. homemade yogurt. Milk that's, that's, you've added the yogurt culture, so it's going to be... Yeah, are yeah. cool to cool off, yeah. Oh, so you might have to get up in the middle and put the yogurt in with the cooling milk. Right. We have the dogs over to the right. And if things, things are probably at some point, they're going to start barking... Bill, your husband, my stepfather, is uh, outside mowing the lawn. There's a chance he'll walk in in the middle of this. We can hear cars going by in the street. And also I have a call at one. And so it's in 50 minutes. The other day, I played for you a recording of a podcast that I did on, it was on race. And it was me and my race history. And I played it for you because I was curious, did I get anything wrong? Did I remember things differently? that sparked a conversation of you remembering a lot of things from your childhood, from my childhood, from Rockland street. And I said, let's record something. And you thought about it for a bit and said, let's, if it's okay with you, what did you remember from that episode? Hopefully people have listened to it. If they haven't listened to it, it's I'll put a link to that episode, but it's a couple episodes ago. What did you remember from it? And what did, how did it make you think or feel?
1: One of the first things I thought about was, literally how much you went through that perhaps the other kids didn't, in large part because you had white hair and very fair skin. You were really, really light colored. (laughs) And I was used to being touched and looked at in India, being a white American. I hadn't realized how much you would have been part of that the second time that I was, or the third time I was in India. You were five years old, I think at the time. And it must've been frightening. And I thought about that. And that took me then to later when I was renovating a house on a primarily black block and you kids were there. And that summer we had issues. I really didn't learn about how much the girls touched you. They would have been teenage girls
0: this is on Rockland Street. On
1: Rockland Street, and so I'm guessing then you would have been about seven, eight years old, eight or nine, and oh, even earlier. Longer. Yeah, yeah, and you know you were an object to them, and that wasn't the primarily primary reason why we moved. We moved because the boys at the bottom end of the street. It was it was an up and down street. <laughs> And they, so,
0: let's get a picture of Rockland street. So it's, it's uh, row houses, row houses. Uh, so it's pretty densely populated,
1: pretty densely populated.
0: And we were, I remember us being about halfway up. Or down we were the block.
1: exactly in the middle, 43 West Rockland street.
0: And then down the block, there was, I think, I, I know there's a school.
1: It was a parochial Catholic school at okay. the bottom of that.
0: And we would sometimes go in they had like a, playground. Um, a it was all payment. Cause I remember one time walking in there barefoot and getting mm-hmm. glass all over. Oh, so, yeah. And then up the hill, that's where the Clipsteins were? And
1: And the Blackson family. The Blackson family, Cora was on the board of directors of our nonprofit that was working to stabilize the community and to to help the community. Mm -hmm. So my inclination whenever there was an issue was to talk to the neighbors. And I brought people together and I explained what had happened to you. And And what had happened to me? The firecracker, the lit firecracker in your hip pocket. Mm -hmm. And it went off, which to, so we're thinking back now that would have, you probably would have been five, six years old. Mm -hmm. And the response of the parents, the only parents who responded were up the hill, not down the hill, Mm -hmm. up the hill. The parents all said, oh, the boys at the bottom of the hill are dangerous, And we can't control them. That's why we keep our boys in the house in the summertime. You need to keep your boy in the house in the summertime. And that's when I said we have to move because I felt that that was leading us into antagonism between white families and black families on the street. And I think you've mentioned this. There were over 100 kids on the block you were two there were two across the street the clipsteins so there were fewer than 10 white kids on the block at any given time of over a hundred kids and so we could move a mile away we had that opportunity and we did and but there'd been another episode where you would you and your sister would be waiting for the school bus in the morning and the kids were taking your lunch i hid one day and i chased them i never caught them but They didn't steal your lunch anymore.
0: Yeah, I don't remember this at all.
1: So
0: was I carrying my lunch outside my book bag or did I have to go in my book bag and get it out?
1: I'm not sure. I don't know exactly. Okay. But we could move, so that's what we did. So
0: they're stealing my lunch. What was I doing?
1: Well, you were waiting for the school bus.
0: I mean, what was I doing for food?
1: Well, I suppose Schechter gave you some food. I don't know. But anyway, that's... And were they
0: they taking my sisters?
1: Yeah, yeah. they're
0: they're They're taking all of our
1: lunches. There were only two of you.
0: Okay. So it was me and Susie. Okay,
1: But then that brought us into a different conversation. Uh, and so your listeners can remember that you've gone through the issue of being mugged or having your bicycle stolen and things like that. And then that took me into discussing with you the different things that my husband Bill has been involved with in terms of racial situation. And it took me back to South Dakota Where we didn't know any African-Americans, but I did go to school with Native Americans, whom we called Indians in those days. Mm -hmm. And that has taken me to thinking about the fact that my best friend in high school was Native American. Her mother was white. She had married a Native American. and
0: The mother married a Native American? Yes. Okay.
1: So Shirley was my best friend. And she played the piano better than anybody. So in high school, whenever we had a contest for singing, any kind of accompaniment, Shirley was the accompanist. Most of the contests were in winter. So there was a big concern that Shirley apparently lived at the end of a long driveway and she might get snowed in. So whenever there was a contest, Shirley stayed overnight with me. So that in the morning, when we had to be at the bus to go to the contest, Mm -hmm. Shirley would be there. Everybody could relax. And I had, uh, for some reason in the house, I don't know why, I had a double bed, meaning that Shirley and I shared the bed. Mm -hmm. That's the way we did things then. Mm -hmm. I've often wondered why I never was invited to her home. I never was in Shirley's home. I don't know. I know that she came with us to Centerville, which was startled my grandmother who was very surprised to see an Indian come to her home mm-hmm. because in eastern South Dakota wasn't the same. I it's spurring me to go make a phone call to Shirley. Mm-hmm. Now I'd like to then jump to the next thing that came to my mind after our conversation mm-hmm. was when I was teaching in Chicago from 67 to 69. I was in the worst ghetto school in Chicago. The school had been built for a 1,000 students, including Cyrus McCormick's kids. He invented the combine, I think, for very wealthy people. And at one time, the school had had stained glass windows and statuary in the hallway, even though it was a public school. Mm -hmm. Some of the teachers with whom I was teaching had gone to this school because they were children of servants of rich people. Our parking lot for that school used to be a garden for the rich kids, the little white kids, to learn how to garden. Mm. When I was there, there were 2,000 people in the building. Double the capacity. Double the capacity. The stained glass windows were gone. The stationery was gone. There were fewer at any given time, fewer than 10 white people in the building, at any given time. So... While I was teaching there at that time I had really long blonde hair and it was a struggle teaching there I had I had no discipline in the classroom I didn't believe in corporal punishment all the teachers all had their paddles I didn't <laughs> it just so some of the teachers really took pity on me and they would walk into the room and say, "Miss Spodak, get lost. And I'd walk out in the hallway, and 15 minutes later, I'd come back, and the kids couldn't sit down, the boys, because they'd just been paddled. But then I had good classroom control for a while.
0: So all the students were black?
1: All the students were and black. And all
0: the other teachers were black?
1: All the other teachers were black.
0: And How did you end up at the school? Did you pick it? Did someone else pick it?
1: I had no teaching credentials. They were short 35 I don't know how many teachers, they were short that year, so they took anybody who had a bachelor's degree, as long as I promised to take teacher classes. So twice a week, I would go to a local community college to learn how to teach. Okay,
0: so you took what you could get, what I, you wanted to teach.
1: I got $35 a day.
0: Okay. And by the way, if people hear noise in the background, it's because my stepfather's riding mower is right outside the front door, so there might be a little background noise. Okay.
1: So... Uh, They gave me two sets of students. The building was overcrowded. I did not have a permanent classroom. I was told to teach language arts, social studies, and science. I was not given any textbooks. So every morning I would have to go in and make copies of whatever I was going to do with the students. We filled in other rooms. So I was on three floors any given day and I had to carry the materials with me, and yet we bonded. The students and I had some really, really good times. The two highlights of which, one was the girls and some of their mothers came to my apartment on Saturday mornings to learn how to sew. Another time I showed the kids how to use the public transportation system to go to a park, to have a picnic. They didn't know you could get on a bus and get off somewhere because they were just in this place at all times. Uh, one time we had a party. And your father and I hosted a party and the kids came and the boys were pushing each other and a bottle of booze fell on the floor. What <laughs> kids? Well, they were seventh graders. Uh-huh. And it got very quiet and of course we kicked those boys out and we cleaned up and finished having a party. The highlight of those two years was the second year when I thought, Howard and I decided to take my kids to South Dakota to see a farm.
0: From 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 South
1: Chicago to South Dakota. So I contacted everybody in the county extension office in Lake Andy, South Dakota, and they arranged for farmers to take two kids per farm. And it cost each kid $20 for the bus ride. I think Howard and I may have kicked in some money for a couple of the kids. Mm-hmm. All we needed was a letter from their a guardian to say it was okay. Mm-hmm. I contacted my college, Augustana College in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. We got in late that day, and they put us up overnight. And my boys, my eighth-grade boys, got up in the middle of the night to go find other, the gangs and whatever. In Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Augustana was at the edge of the city, and all they found was a cornfield, which was a real eye-opener for them. We got back to Lake Andes, South Dakota, and when we did that, we divided up the kids to go to different farms. And it just so happened that we were... There, in time for a con, they called it Share the Fun Contest. And the 4 H kids would have a talent show. So, my girls decided to teach, show them how they dance in Chicago.
0: In South Dakota. In
1: South Dakota. Uh And this again was in 1969. So, the girls got up to dance, and it opened everybody's eyes. In 1969, South Dakota had not seen this before. One of the mothers came up to me and said, you know, Cassandra asked me if she could do, if she could use a kitchen fork to do her hair. And I said, yeah, but I didn't know what that meant. And she walked into the bedroom and she came back and her hair was this big and I'm holding my hands up. Looking like an Afro. Yeah, it was an Afro. And all I could think is her mom is going to be very unhappy when she comes back with an Afro, not pressed hair. The... Kids talked to me on the bus on the way back, and almost every one of those kids had encountered a Native American. And I was surprised at this because most of the kids were on farms. They weren't in the town. And they said, you know, they got it worse than we do. That was a very interesting comment. Mm -hmm. They got it worse than we do. Another comment they said was, what they be talking about black folk having too many kids? All those people out there got six, eight kids every family, which was true. Mm -hmm. It was a Catholic community, Mm -hmm. and there were six to eight kids everywhere. Then the last comment that came out of that, one of the boys said to me, Miss Bodak ain't seen but one black person on the trip. And I said, was it a man or a woman? And he said, a man. I said, well, I saw a woman, so that makes two And that just blew my kids' minds, because in the south side of Chicago in 1969, the only way that they could comprehend having a friendship or liking somebody who was white, so I was with long blonde hair, they thought I was black, because they couldn't conceive of knowing a white person in any other context, except a dominant Uh, the police, uh, welfare workers, people like that.
0: So all this was preparing for, I think you're setting up for Rockland Street and the community stuff there.
1: Well, it's setting up for, your father and I made a conscious decision when he got a job at Temple University that we wanted to live in an integrated community. And as we were looking for housing in 1970. We were asked right up front, will you live in a neighborhood if blacks live there? And our comment, I remember this at the time, we don't want to be the only whites, but we are fine with an integrated community. So the first house we made an offer on, we were turned down because we were Jews. And so we didn't get to buy that house. So we went over two blocks away, and I think we were the second Jewish family to move in. And we became that became an issue for us when the babysitter could not babysit for us, and she was wonderful. Was because we were Jewish.
0: Were the other Jews, Gavin and Werner? Yes. A few words about Gabby and Werner. Yeah, go talk. But no, I, I don't. Here's what I know about Gavin and Werner: was that they escaped Hitler,
1: Nazi oh. Germany.
0: That they were German. They were born in Germany. They lived down the block from us. They were like second parents to us or grandparents.
1: Say my mental capacity. Yeah. And there's
0: Uma who was lived to be something like ninety-nine. There that must have been their mother, one of their mothers.
1: Gabby's mother, yeah.
0: And so we would go there sometimes and hear no, I don't I don't know the story. I I mean, I've heard it, I think, how they got out. I, I feel like they didn't know each other in Germany.
1: Oh no, no. This was a second marriage, at least for Gabby, maybe for Werner as well.
0: I knew that they escaped and, and going to Schechter, the Holocaust hung heavily over us. I remember, certainly I remember one time in class, a teacher saying, even Josh with blonde hair and blue eyes would have been gassed just like anybody else. And maybe not quite so bluntly as that, but definitely like even with the blonde hair and blue eyes, you would still be killed or something like that.
1: Well, you came to me and at some point and said, mom, you know, if this were to happen again, you and I could blend into the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, But dad and Susie couldn't because of just how they look. And I looked at you and I said, no, no, no. I made sure I have documentation. Hitler and his people would have known that we were Jews. My documentation made us thoroughly Jews and we wouldn't have escaped. In their eyes. In their eyes. Yes, yes.
0: Do you know the Gabby and Werner story?
1: I know Gabby's story. I don't know Werner's story. Gabby's father was a very well-known dentist in this small community. In Germany. In Germany. And her mother, uh, he had died, and her mother just refused to believe that there could be any problems. And they actually ended up somehow in line to have, as I recall, get on a train. To a
0: concentration camp?
1: I don't know where.
0: okay. A train. A
1: train. And one of the soldiers, one of the guards, whatever, came up to them and said, the dentist was a good man. He was very helpful to my family you don't want to get on this I will help you escape and somehow I don't know that any other part of the story they made she made it Gabby and her mother made it to England
0: so there's a mystery of getting not getting on that train and then sometime later in England yeah and that transit we don't know
1: we don't know anything I don't I know I'm sure her children do mm. their children do so it was very heavily on my mind <laughs> about being discriminated against. And that led me to some other conversations with you.
0: I, sorry. You, okay. you You grew up Lutheran and you converted to Judaism. And then had you never converted, there would have been no question. You could have just moved there. It, it, did it feel funny? You're like, I'm not sure your motivation to convert to Judaism. But then once you did it, now you made your life more difficult or you faced these difficulties that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Was there any irony in that? or Did you well, think about that?
1: One- thing I felt, and looking back, it's probably somebody that's idealistic and young, is that I wanted to make a decision while well, I had a choice to make a decision, so that if anything came discriminatory, anything like this were to come again, I wouldn't have to choose to be heroic. Heroic. I would have, I, the decision would have been made for me when I was 22.
0: Like Cortez sinking his ships when facing the Aztecs, that we could not escape. We must we we have to Yes. I have no escape route.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. That's that's yes. Okay. That's part of it. Yeah. And, so, and, th- and
0: then that happened. <laughs> and then that happened.
1: So growing up, the others in my life were Native Americans, and there were terrible comments that were made I don't even want to say them right now because they're so abhorrent to me now. But Were they then? To my mother and to me, they were, but they were also just accepted because that's what people said. Mm -hmm. When we moved to town, when my dad got the job in town, there was a house for sale. And it was a grand, good house, two stories, four bedrooms. It was great. But it had been on the market for a while. Now looking back, I realize it was because it had been previously owned by Denny Moran, an Indian scout. Although he was Caucasian, white, he had married an Indian woman. And it was across the street from the section of town where the Indians lived. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not going to say it was a ghetto, but it was like a ghetto. It was where they could live. So we got a good deal on the house. We loved that house. It was a grand house, and, and that was worthwhile. My mother always drove her neighbors to vote, and that made the town angry. But they only talked to my dad, not my mom. And he would come home, and he'd say, you took him to vote again. Mom would say yes and walked out of the room. One of the few times that she would really, really stand up to him, she started a 4-H club. For Indian girls. I
0: do want to hear this. But I really want to get forward to where I'm alive.
1: Where you're alive? Yeah. What do you mean? I'm curious how... The, Did you not know how little babies are made?
0: <laughs> I mean, let's go back to Rockland Street.
1: Okay. Yeah, but we can't discount Chicago in the middle. But anyway, Rockland Street.
0: So we've talked a bit about your growing up in South Dakota. We've talked about your experience in Chicago. We've talked about before I was born in Philadelphia. And I'm curious about what I don't remember from my childhood.
1: Well, the parts, well, on Rockland Street, we had that.
0: So, okay, Rockland Street, I remember going to Baptist Church, uh, uh, Pentecostal Church, or what, what were the community groups that you were part of? What was going on? Well,
1: the Southwest Germantown Corporation, which, as I mentioned before, put 75 families into 75 boarded up homes using traditional money. The other thing that happened on Rockland Street is I could not get insurance on my home because. My neighborhood was redlined, meaning that they had drawn a red line around our neighborhood. They didn't want to give mortgage loans or insurance loans because it was primarily a black neighborhood.
0: Now, was that to hurt blacks? Was it, did, or did they have some internally to themselves? Were they? Do you know their motivation?
1: It goes back to the '30s when, well. It was traditional to block out areas where they would make loans dependent on the racial and religious composition of the neighborhood. And there were four grades. If they were in green, that meant it was a Caucasian Protestant neighborhood. Then there was a different color for a primary neighborhood that was Jewish or Catholic. And then the neighborhoods that had blacks in them were red-lined, and that's the term that you hear today. They are red-lined neighborhoods. And in order to perpetuate this, they made deed restrictions, one of which I memorized so that I could use it when I was teaching real estate a- prospective real estate agents. Here's the deed restrictions. No person other than the Caucasian race may own and, and the Protestant faith, may own and occupy this home. This does not preclude occupancy by domestic servants.
0: Okay, so, so we were in a redline neighborhood, even though we were not, we, we were redlined ourselves.
1: We were, because we were companies. in the neighborhood. I called 30 insurance companies until I finally got an insurance thing, And there was a good man who owned a savings and loan, and he made the mortgage loan for me. Because he made the decisions. And when he died, I wrote this story up, and his heirs, his children, said they knew their father had done good things, but they'd never heard it until so eloquently expressed until I wrote. So Cora Blackson was a black member of the corporation, and she was a member of the Pentecostal church, and that church spoke in tongues. And she really wanted us to go to church. So one day, all five of you kids and Bill and I went to her church. Do you remember the service?
0: Just Vaguely. I, I mean, I think I remember some dancing and some singing.
1: Yep. Storefront. Mm-hmm. It was a wild one.
0: So, yeah, I would have been a little kid. and
1: Yeah. <laughs> and we were glad to be included. And last year... I went back to Rockland Street with a friend of mine, Mm -hmm. and I knocked on the door at 43 West Rockland Street. It was a tenant who didn't know me, but several other uh, people showed up. And when I mentioned Cora's name, somebody said, go get her grandson, and he called Cora. Uh And she is now in a special home, but she remembered. Mm -hmm. And she had come to Bill's and my wedding, her son inherited Bill's fish tank when we moved. They still remembered us, and we remembered them.
0: And what did the community organizations do? I mean, what, what did other people think of what you were doing? I mean, you'd you gone from a couple of people's homes in in the neighborhood, yeah, friends of, of, to like, hey, I'm a single mom, and I got some kids, and they stayed. we stayed with Ethan and uh, I forget the other.
1: What was her name? Anyway, yeah, we rented from Gabby and Werner. We rented from the ex wife of the somebody affiliated with city hall,
0: so what did all these people say when you moved to Rockland Street? How many people visited
1: oh that 's interesting. We were in I helped start uh, daycare it was toddlers and twos and threes and fours, and then we I, I had a plan
0: oh i 'm sorry, I remember toddlers and twos. it was toddlers and twos and then it was and toddlers threes. and twos and threes and four
1: then we had Expanded. another one. For after school. It got well anyway, toddlers and twos. We were having a problem with the director, and the other parents started pulling their kids out. I didn't have an option. I needed you kids to be in that daycare. So they elected me president for two weeks. And my job was to fire the neighborhood, the director of toddlers and twos, get rid of her, get rid of her, and then hire a new one. Then it was time to have a Christmas party to just bring everybody together. And all of the rich people up in Westmont area and Chestnut Hill, whose kids went to this, didn't feel their homes were nice enough. So I said, What the heck? Come on down to my house, which had been abandoned and some of the parts had been stolen and things were not finished. But we had a wonderful party, and none of these white parents could figure out how they got to Rockland Street.
0: how they got to Rockland Street, like...
1: Well, they drove down, but they didn't realize that. Oh,
0: what what in my life led me to be here? Yes. Okay.
1: (laughs) And toddlers and twos, I think, still is a viable entity in in West Mount Airy. So that's good.
0: Okay, so we moved a mile away to Walnut Lane. Mm. And you had already been mugged by Walnut Lane before
1: before before there.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that was on Tulpockin Street? Like, it was literally... It was on Green Street and-
1: Right in there, yeah.
0: You didn't have to cross the street to get there, right? It was on the same block. Yes,
1: yes, right around the corner.
0: And can I ask about that experience? And how did you decide to move a block away from that?
1: Oh, well, that had happened in probably, it had happened four years earlier. And it was a fact, everybody in that area, it was an integrated neighborhood. So it was accepted that these things happened. Bill's car was stolen twice. And these things happen. That's the effect of being in an integrated community in that time. Mm -hmm. So we all faulted me for a couple of things. Why, if I had tossed my purse in the back of, in the trunk before slamming the lid down, they wouldn't have gotten it. But I still had my purse. So when I slammed the trunk down, the guy could take it. He had a knife. It it's S stuff happens. S blank blank T mm. happens. <laughs> it's the mid-western lingo. But that never happened when I was in the school in Chicago. Never felt threatened there. But, you know, there's missing parts right here that I want you to interview my husband, Bill, because he was much more involved in community activities than I was at that time. He's a good organizer. I was more involved with women's rights than racial rights. Oh.
0: If you like the show, I recommend acting as my guests do. It works best with someone supportive, your spouse, parents, kids, neighbors, or friends. Learn the four-step process I do with my guests and describe in my TEDx talks and do it together. You'll find yourself acting on something you care about, something meaningful. Whether you start big or small doesn't matter. If you care, if it's meaningful, you'll keep doing it. You'll reach big. Eventually stewardship will feel normal. You'll wish you had started earlier. Second, I recommend donating to help this podcast at joshuaspodek.com slash donate. I promote degrowth and stewardship, which no advertiser will touch, but brings joy, community, connection, and abundance to you when you act, and global change in the long run. Help us keep going. That's joshuaspodek.com slash donate. I'm also kind of curious about me going to Schechter, because I remember loving, like liking the kids, my my friends from kindergarten through sixth grade, but my memories of Judaism or religion, especially what I feel now is being forced on me, I don't like.
1: Well, when your father and I made a decision to live in an integrated neighborhood, we knew that the schools were integrated. The school board in Philadelphia specifically targeted integrated neighborhoods to bus kids in from West Philly. Mm-hmm. It just—they tried to break the neighborhood, and West West Mount Airy was not broken. Anyway, so broke. Also-
0: what, what do you mean by broke? <laughs> when you bus, or?
1: when you bus outside kids in, and you force people, it forced people to move. The schools were horrendous. They were. I talked to people who had helped design the schools and helped. They everybody wanted to stay there, but the it was the time of blockbusting, and
0: so the city was trying to bring pe- impoverished kids from West Philly. To bring them to West Manary so that people in West Manary would move away? Yes. How does that help the city?
1: Well, the real estate agents, everybody got some, some money out of it.
0: How do you get money from people moving away? Oh, it's just so they would sell their properties and they'd their get their properties.
1: Commission. And there was collusion between the real estate agents and the appraisers. There were several communities in Philadelphia that had a ban on door-to-door solicitation until maybe 20 years ago. From the 70s all the way up to 1990, they finally lifted that ban. When I went into real estate, I could not say to people, send me business. I could send a letter. Dear friend, I am now in real estate. Sincerely, Marie. I couldn't say, dear friend, I'm now in real estate. If you know someone who would like to list or sell or buy, please contact me. I couldn't do that because, well, that's a whole nother story about what was going on. Anyway. Howard and I also knew that we wanted our children to have a Jewish upbringing. And so we had committed to a Jewish school and living in an integrated neighborhood. I don't recall that it was onerous on you until later in your life. So many of these things that you're feeling negative about right now weren't things that were apparent to me when you were growing up. But... I'm really grateful you had some really excellent teachers there and I still feel that you got a very good sound secular and religious upbringing. I gave you something to choose from. All
0: right. And what about the other kids experiences? You were saying that because my skin was more fair and my my hair was lighter. What about the what about my sisters and stepsister and stepbrother?
1: I really think you should interview Bill because he has different stories. I don't think the other kids had the same issues that you had, but I don't know that. Because parents don't often know what goes on in their kids' lives until 20 years later. Like, you know, there's a picture that fell off the wall, and we'll never know how that picture so You're laughing about that. <laughs> yeah, this
0: is, there's a couple of mysteries of, like, how the mustard got the, on the floor, how the picture, picture broke. Down
1: and where did the snake go?
0: Oh, yeah. The Susie Snake? Yeah. Yeah.
1: That she brought home from school, and it disappeared in the Rockland Street house. We don't know. So, When you listen
0: to my episode a little while ago, how did it make you feel? I have an email today, or I got maybe yesterday, and it's someone saying, look, you don't know what it's like to be oppressed.
1: I think that's an inappropriate statement. I think there's a lot of people that are oppressed. I know many Indians were oppressed under British rule. I know that you were oppressed because you were the wrong color. and But we were higher up, so that was a different situation. I cannot imagine what it's like to walk into a room and be evaluated at that point because of the color of my skin. The only thing I can think about is to walk into the room and know I won't get hired because I'm female. I was told that. We can't hire you because we can't have two female instructors in the same room.
0: Well, what happened in Chicago? You were the only white person in the school.
1: Well, they were desperate. <laughs> they were desperate.
0: Well, did they judge you anyway? Who? Everyone else in the school. You were, you were the only one of one. Your skin color, hair color, you're the only one. And yeah. You said you couldn't imagine what it would be like to walk in and be judged.
1: Well, they did think I wasn't as effective as some of the other teachers were.
0: Well, that was after, that was judging your behavior after they've seen it. What about when you first walked in?
1: That's an interesting question. My fourth day there, we had a nationally televised riot, and then it got worse. And I think what saved me is I did not lose my cool when that riot started. It was a major riot, it made all the news. And I told my kids, get away from the window. We have to teach now. And I taught until they vacated the school. And I think my kids and the other teachers respected me for that. And, you know, the other thing back in the early 70s, late 60s, they always said, it's not a measure. Do you invite black people to your home? It's do they invite you to their home? And, yes, I was always invited to their parties. And, yeah, we we had a good relationship, but I always knew that I had different opportunities. Than they did. Than they did.
0: Mm-hmm. So moving a mile away to an integrated community, well, if it's an integrated community, they would have had that access too, but they would have been asked, you were asked, do you, do you want to... Well, that was years before, but maybe they were, were they still asking, would you like to be the only white? No, would you like to be on a in a neighborhood with blacks? No, you chose to be in an integrated community.
1: We did, but what, we were what? asked.
0: So they would have been asked to and they would have been declined.
1: Oh, yeah. They wouldn't even have been shown houses.
0: So you're a single mom. I was oppressed. <laughs> but we had a way out and they didn't. Or a, a very small number of them did. Right. So they could have made just as much money as us. And they would have not been able to get out.
1: Even if they had made that more month, money, they would not have gotten out. They would have been denied loans. They would have been charged higher interest rates. They couldn't have gotten insurance. That's why I listed and sold real estate. I was okay. I wasn't great. But I really felt from my background in this nonprofit corporation that I could have a greater impact on on my industry by going into the classroom, and that 's why, when I owned my school, my partner was a Catholic in Charleston, South Carolina, and he said to me, "Marie, when we teach fair housing, we can teach it in such a way, because he said, being Catholic, he said it 's not clear down here which is worth worse being a Jew or a Catholic." Mm-hmm in these neighborhoods. And as we spoke, the Goy, the, the Protestants, had bought a house, a multi-million dollar house, or a big house, and taken it off the market for four years until the Jewish family bought something else. They did not want a Jew in the neighborhood. And this was in the early 80s, mid-80s. And he said, when we teach fair housing, we can teach it in such a way that everybody will get really quiet and it'll be that impact. It's because of you, black person in the class, the one, that we have to go through this. Or, Bob said, we can teach it from the perspective of a Catholic and of a Jew. So it isn't just about black rights. It's about everybody's rights. And that's how we both taught it.
0: I want to go back to Rockland Street. So when they, when, they, when the ones <laughs> up the block said... We keep our boys inside. I remember at the, at the bottom of the, end of the block, I remember the, they set up the milk crate basketball. I just remember a few images there. So had we not been white, the only option would have been to keep me inside. Exactly. We had the option to leave. Yes. The ones, the ones up the, the street. the I saw it, yeah. The ones up the street. Did it, not. They, they didn't have, have that option. Often. No. So, so they, they had, had to keep their boys, keep boys indoors. indoors. Yes. Or have them be recruited be by, by gangs. gangs. It was. A, it wasn't it was gangs. gangs. It was just...
1: Mean, mean Mean voice.
0: So, our bus stop was up the street and to the right?
1: Yeah, it was uh, one street over.
0: So, I went uphill, then turned right. I don't
1: know the name of it. Okay,
0: but it was Germantown Avenue at the top of the block.
1: Maybe. Anyway.
0: Um, uh, Yeah, I'm just refreshing my memory from childhood. Well, I mean, now we're running out of time. Is there anything to uh, cover that more?
1: Well, any questions for me? <laughs> the thing that I've been thinking about is until you have been discriminated against. And I do want to share one other story because mm-hmm. it ties into this. Your sister lived in Japan and Susie mm-hmm. and she spoke Japanese. And there was a point when she needed to find a place to stay, to live mm-hmm. while she was there. And she walked into a, a real estate office. And the woman reading didn't even look up and said in Japanese, We don't have any. And Susie said in Japanese, You don't have any what? And the woman in Japanese said, Whatever you're here for. And Susie said, Well, I need, I want to rent and I have a job. Woman said, We don't have any. When Susie wrote to me about that, she said, Mom, Until it happens to you, you don't know what a a hit in the gut is like. Because she said, I needed a place to stay. I mean, she was being forced out. and She couldn't. There were issues. And she said, Mom, until it happens to you. And she said, I think everybody should have it happen to them at least once.
0: Either no one should. Ideally, it would be no one. But if anyone, then everyone. everyone
1: should have that opportunity, where by virtue of the color of your skin or your nationality, you are denied opportunity, mm-hmm. and that's when I said to my students, I think people don't generally forget that day in real estate school, mm-hmm. <laughs> whether they were in Charleston, South Carolina, or in Des Moines, Iowa.
0: You said there's there, there something you wanted to say, and then there was that story?
1: That was the story. I think th- that ties in. Until you have been denied a right, or made fun of, or touched, or anyway discriminated against, not by something you said or did, but by virtue of what you look like and how they look at you, I don't know that you can really understand. The pain and agony. And there is a lot of pain and agony out there.
0: You've known me my whole life. Uh, You think? (laughs) Have I, have (laughs) I had these experiences? Because I feel like people just presume that I have not.
1: I do think. And the more I know you and listen to you, the more likely it is to have some of these stories come up. So, yes, the last time you were mugged and the bicycle taken, you were a little boy. And by the time it wound its way into the court system, that's the one when the police stopped it, mm-hmm. you'd had a growth spurt. So you were a tall white boy and these this black kids were these little black kids. And the judge looked and said, why didn't you do something for yourself? Or that was implicit. And I thought, you know, just looking at you, they are giving you more credit than the fear and terror that you might have had and probably had when you were surrounded by three kids of a different color.
0: It was two kids. Two kids. And a a big big rock.
1: rock. And a big rock. So I don't know. There's a lot of people that have never had that experience. You can't know what it's like to be a single mom unable to get a good-paying job. I don't know what it's like to be an eight-year-old boy Faced with kids that have a rock and are ready to beat you up, so I don't know. What's the I other
0: think. situation with the, the on the bike with the, with, when they hit with, the ranch? yeah, that yeah. was like five boys.
1: Yeah, so so I just feel that we have a lot of systemic racism in this country. I've read about things. I don't know. I feel pain, but I haven't experienced some of the pain that many people have, and you haven't either. We have suffered. We have head pain, but we can't know. But we can work towards making it better. I don't know anything more than that.
0: Well, let's wrap up there then.
1: That's a good place to stop.
0: Uh, Mom, thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Josh, for listening and everyone else. Bye-bye.
0: How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshwasporek.com slash donate. Again, that's joshwasporek.com slash donate.